Yeah. Hi. Hi. Uh, I have a question about uh, forgiveness because I've been struggling with that um, for the past months. Um, okay, so so um, I found myself in this situation going back home and visiting my parents. Now, uh, my household was a very abusive household, so that scarred me for life. Like Your household was? Was very abusive. Physically, sexually, it was abusive. Very, yeah, abusive childhood. So... Forgiveness for me, as I understand it, is something that you do for yourself. Because the person you don't forgive is having a party, and he doesn't care, and you have to forgive because in that way you're at peace or something like that. But being so, so having to go back and having this duty to visit my family as it is expected, I found myself in a situation where I had to sit down with these people that, that of course, had done terrible damage to me as, as a kid, a seven-year-old, eight-year-old kid. And having to be kind to them, I was suffering inside. Suffering to be in that presence and suffering to have to go through that. I'm forcing myself to be kind because I knew it was going to hurt their feelings if I wasn't sitting with them because that's what uh, a daughter is supposed to do. So forgiveness. And then I was, I was suffering all, and I was being not forgiven to myself because I was having these feelings and I thought, oh, I should be like a better person forgiving these people. So I'm, I'm having a hard trying, time forgiving I can forgive little things. I can let them go because I know the anger. When it arises, it goes away, and then it's I'm gone. sorry, I didn't hear the last thing you just no, said. I, I, well, with little things, I understand forgiveness because the anger you feel goes away. But with shocking things like abuse and terrible things that happen, how, how can I forgive and be that kind person again to somebody who has hurt me so much? Mm. So first of all, I'm really sorry to hear that. The, um, the truth is that abuse is much more um, prevalent than we imagine because most of the time it's kept under wraps. And I think what would be really abu even more abusive is if you continue to believe that you should do anything. Forgiveness is a very complicated, it's not complicated, it's complex. It's a complex act, forgiveness, which does not mean condoning, nor does it mean that because we've forgiven, 
that there are other things that we have to do or should do in order to prove that we've forgiven either to ourselves or to the other person that we've forgiven. I love my teacher's uh, definition of forgiveness, which is giving up all hope of a better past. Giving up all hope of a better past. And that, you're right, that is an internal, that is internal, that has nothing to do with the outside. It has nothing to do, in a way, with the relationship. It has to do with your own relationship and to, to whatever the offenses were. And yes, forgiveness is, is spoken about, and it was spoken about by the Buddha as um, when he said hatred does not um, Hatred is not ended by hatred, but by love alone is healed. That is the eternal law. And why did he say that? He said that because if we continue to hate, that just builds. It's like Martin Luther King saying that, you know, adding darkness to a, star, a, a sky already uh, devoid of stars just makes that sky darker. So, so we're, we're asked or we're directed by the Buddha in this, um, in this teaching of forgiveness to not pick up the hot coal and throw it at the person who ducks and it, at, and it harms us. That we cut off the um, the eternal spiral of hatred being returned for hatred. But we do it, it's an inside job. We do it on the inside because we understand how that um, eats away at our own constitution. What we choose to do then in response is what we can do. So if you choose not to be with the person who has abused you, that is your choice. If you choose to be with them, that's a more complex choice, right? But what we're asked to do is not so much um, deal with the external relationship because that's a lot to handle. But really to be clear, very clear about how, what you want to do with yourself to not continue the harm. Because the more resentment and unforgiveness you have, the more that harm, the abuse, the harm from the abuse is continuing. So you're correct in, in the sense of um, forgiveness being something that's necessary for you, you know, that you're not, you're, you're forgiving because you're not carrying the burden and the burning of the hatred and resentment. And that's hard to do.
it's a hard job. So it's a process, it's a journey. And right now you may be able to forgive that much. And can you be content with that? Or you may be able to forgive that much. And can you be content with that? Or maybe you're not able to forgive at all right now. And can you be content with that? But if you're going to be content with it, be content with it in a really mindful way so that you understand what the consequences are internally. So that you can keep the complexity internal in the beginning. And then when you feel as if you can break through to the outside, then the decisions are yours. And there's no should about how it should look, or how you should be, or what you should say, or how you should say it. It's a real step-by-step-by-step step step understanding of what you're doing rather than a list of shoulds about how it should look. Does that? Yes, that's very helpful, thank you. Does that help? Yeah. May you be at peace. Uh, I have a question about Effort. Effort. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My practice is mostly one of painful striving. Most of my life actually has been that way. I feel like I've made a lot of progress and I've been trying to focus a lot more on being, just being in my body and being present to help me deal with my thinking, which is what I'm really struggling with right now. Thinking? I'm sorry? What are you struggling with? My thinking. Actually, my thinking is what keeps me from being in my body and being present. And... Is that, that true? I, I'm sorry? Is that true? I think so. So what's your relationship to your thinking? just do it too much. My mind wanders too much. That's not your relationship. <laughs> your rela like so it. what you just told me is that your relationship to your thinking is that you're judging it. Right? And so what's your relationship to your thinking? I don't like it. <laughs> okay. Uh -huh. I want to get rid of it. So what would it be like to not think? Say that again? <laughs> what would it be like to not think? Hmm. To just be able to be in my body when I'm either sitting or 
going throughout my No, day. no, you said you didn't want to think anymore. So what would it be like to not think? You can't get away with that. Well, <laughs> not, not to not think, but to think about what, I'm, what I should be thinking about. Oh, so there's something you should be thinking right. about. So what's that? My breath and, and just being really? present in my body. That sounds really boring. <laughs> just think about that. Just all day, just thinking about your breath. <laughs> so, you know, I'm playing a little bit, but it's a, it's a common mistake, I think, that we as meditators make, which is to think that um, thinking is an enemy, or that you know, running back to the breath, running back to the breath, that's a really good meditation. Mm -mm. No. What, what you can do, and you've probably heard this instruction, and we all hear it a lot, and we don't hear it, right? Which is, make the object of your meditation whatever is arising in the moment. And that includes thinking. Right? More often than we would like, as you said. So how do you have a relationship with your thought? Do you know? Say that. How do you have a relationship with thought? What is the relationship that one could have with thought? Notice I didn't say should. Could you be interested in your thought? I guess right now it would be good if I could just be a little more neutral and not be so aversive to, you know, to the experience of thinking. So how are you going to go about doing that? Maybe try not to be so judgmental about it. So how are you going to do that? By not being so judgmental of myself. <laughs> okay, beautiful. There's another way which is to be completely interested in your thinking. Mm. And we get a little scared when we hear that because we think if I get interested in my thinking, I'm just going to get completely caught up in it. Well, that's what we've been doing all of our lives is we've been caught up in the content of our thought, right? So it goes something like this, right? So you hear the bell. Oh, I was having such a good meditation. Why on earth did the time go so quickly? Oh my God, I'd really love to just sit here another 15 minutes. You know, they always ring the bell too fast. That's why I haven't been here for in the last six months. You know, I'd rather just sit alone all by myself and just ring the bell when I feel like ringing the bell. You know, and this is not the only time that this happens in my life. You know, people are always doing what I don't want them to do. You know, I sit here, I'm just trying to be calm, I'm just trying to learn, and, but, okay, so, you know, the, the last time I had a really good meditation was, you know, back in 2001, you know, I remember, you know, I was sitting in that zendo, yeah, why don't I go to the zendo? These Theravadans don't know anything about meditation. The zens, they really know, they're all so still. Yeah, I think that's what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to look that up tomorrow. I'm going to see if there's a zendo. 
Well, but I don't think I have any of those robes to wear. Oh, God, those robes were so beautiful. Oh, my God, that's the other part of Zen I really loved. I wonder where they get those robes. You know, I was down on um, Prince Street the other day, and that store, I bet that store had it, but, you know, I don't really like that store. I didn't like the woman in that store. She reminds me of my mother. You know, I should really call my mother. I haven't called her in, in you know. And before, you know, what happened? The bell rang. Right? So that can happen, or the thinking can arrive, right? Oh, that was a beautiful meditation. Oh, thinking. And then pay attention just to the process of thought. So can you pay attention? Now, you really need some stillness for this, but can you pay attention to the arising of the thought the awareness of the thought, so you find yourself, so, oh, oh, I was having such a great meditation, oh, thinking. And then you pay attention to how that thought appears in the mind and how it disappears. So you pay attention just to the journey of the thought and you come back to this present moment. But guess what? You've already been in the present moment. You've been in the present moment the whole time if you've been aware of the thought and you've been aware of the process of thought. You haven't been caught by the content of the thought. So we don't need to fear our thoughts. We don't need to be aversive to our thoughts. We don't need to judge our thoughts. But we can actually pay attention to how a thought arises in the mind, the, 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 the journey of its, the awareness of the thought and how it simply disappears or dissipates as soon as we pay attention to how that thought is in the mind, rather than being caught by the content. Now, what does that take? It takes some stillness, and that's why we direct you back to the breath, not so much because the breath is such a great object of meditation, but because the breath is absolutely always present. This breath, this breath, this breath, this breath, this breath. And so every time we return to the breath, we're training the mind to be here in this present moment. So it will be here for this, in this present moment for even when a thought arises, when it gets somewhat still. So the ability to be present with the breath allows the mind to settle down and that, that scattering of the energy of the mind, it becomes gathered. And when it's gathered, we're able then to notice the arising of the thought, etc. So it's a bit of a dilemma because we want to both be in the present moment for the, with the breath, but we also want to open the awareness to whatever else is arising. So we come back to the breath, we come back to the breath, we come back to the breath. And as we're in with the breath, a sensation arises in the body or a thought arises in the mind, or an emotion arises in the heart. Any of those experiences are happening in the present moment and can be known in the present moment, but don't have to grab us, don't have to bring us back into a scattering of the energy again. But what how does that happen? It happens with discipline. That's the only thing we have. We dis without discipline, we get a little bit get, uh, gathered 
and then we lose it. We get a little bit gathered and then we lose it. We meditate today and then we meditate in four days and then we meditate in the morning and then we meditate in the evening. The mind doesn't continue to get trained. It's the, it's the ability to repeat over and over and over again that coming back to this present moment that allows us to become so still that we can recognize when a thought appears. And after a while, after really being that diligent and that disciplined, after a while the mind does it automatically. But in the beginning it's like any other discipline that we embark on. It takes a while before we don't feel awkward. Right? So whether it's playing the piano or learning a sport or learning anything, it, in the beginning we, you know, we don't get it. In the beginning, it feels like, oh, I'm not good at this, I can't do this, oh, this is terrible, blah, blah, blah. But after a while, after a while, we begin to see. And we, if, if we really give ourselves the luxury of space and time and the ability to um, establish that kind of discipline, the mind does, after a while, just automatically come back. It comes back, it comes back. We're not, we're not doing it. The mind is doing it all by itself. But it takes some patience and the ability to not hate the fact that we're thinking, right? Because that's just adding more to what is already um, there. It's not necessary to add the hatred. It's not necessary to add the judgment. That's all extra. So everything that arises we can meet with some curiosity and kindness. That, that's the combination that we need, is what's happening now? What's happening now? And can we be completely kind? Can we be kind with our unforgiveness? Can we be kind with the, with the mind that blah, 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 blah. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay, right? Can we be kind with, you know, wanting to speak? and feeling that impulse and wanting to say something that we know is going to cause a, you know, a, a, a rupture. Can we, can we have some patience? We're, we're developing so many qualities when we practice. We're developing patience, we're developing truthfulness, we're de developing um, determination, we're developing energy and energetic effort and we're developing wisdom, we're developing all kinds of qualities in the mind just by this willingness to establish discipline and let go of so I say let go but what I mean by let go is first recognize when uh, that hatred comes up or that judgment comes up does, does everybody know the acronym RAIN? In, in some of you are nodding, some of you are not. So this is a really wonderful acronym for your practice. So RAIN is first we recognize what's here. And then we accept it. So the hatred for the thinking mind or the judgment of the thinking mind. Oh, this is judgment. And uh, meet it and greet it with a completely accepting heart and then investigate it. So what does judgment feel like? Is that really something that you want to engage in? How does that feel like in the body? 
you know, what happens when we judge ourselves? Does, does the body feel relaxed or does it feel tense? Does, what's the story in the mind? You've never been good at anything. You've never done it well. You're never going to do it well. You're, you're a bum, right? There's that story. And whose voice is that? Is that your mother's voice or your father's voice or your grandmother's voice or your friend's voice? And then as you're, as you're noticing that, uh, you're also noticing uh, whatever emotions coming up. So you're, you're recognizing and then you're accepting it with some equanimity, with some balance. Oh, this is what's here now. And then as you're investigating it, you're seeing the body, the mind, the heart, and then uh, you're not identifying with it. This is a really important piece. So you're not, it's not, oh, this is me, right? This thinking mind is me. This is my mind that's doing this. No, no, this is, the thinking mind is the, is the mind that we all have in common. There's no need to identify it as mine. It's not your mind, it's the mind. So it's recognize, accept, investigate, and not identify with whatever arises in the moment. And we go through that in the beginning. And again, it's awkward. We go through that. We go through those steps every time with everything that arises. And after a while, it becomes very, very almost automatic, right? So that the, so that the judgment that you were adding lets go of itself. You don't have to let go of it. So this is the last question right here. Hello. <coughs> Hello. Hi. Audible. Okay. My name is Ashok. Ashok, yes. yes. Hi. Hi. Um, you talked a lot about, uh, not a lot, but intermittently about intention. I'm the, sorry? You talked uh, a few times about intention. Intention, yes. Yeah. So, um, to my mind, uh, there is an, is an intention behind everything we do, whether we recognize the intention or don't recognize the intention. Um, when I come to the meditation center, there's an intention behind coming here. When I meditate, there is an intention behind meditating. Now, uh, some time ago, I heard uh, a Dharma teacher that I respect say that when you meditate, you should not expect to get anything out of meditation. And I'm still struggling with, with that statement as to how can I meditate and not expect to be calm, not expect to get evolved a little bit, not expect to have more awareness, not become more mindful. And I'm wondering if you have any comment on that problem. So I don't like to comment on anybody else's comments. <laughs> if you agree with, if you don't agree with it, you don't have to, but no, if you no. agree with it, then, then well, you may have I a, don't know a if I agree or disagree. I, 
I guess I have my own take on it, which is that, first of all, um, I don't know if intention and expectation are the same thing, right? So intention, we can have an intention and yet not have an expectation that that intention will be fulfilled. Sorry to, hello, sorry to interrupt you, but what she meant was she should not expect to get anything out of it. You should not expect yeah. to get anything. Yeah, well, I use yeah. the word intention. No, no, and, that's, no, and, I, and I, I think I agree with that because we never know what's going to happen. Do we? So we can have all the intentions in the world, right? So we have the intention here to be really mindful about our speech doesn't mean that it always happens. We have the intention to forgive, but we struggle because we don't even really completely know yet what forgiveness means or what it looks like. We have an intention to have a quiet mind, and yet the mind is right? So the intention is why we come to our seat, but we also know that even though we would love to have quiet and calm and you know a, a really deep samadhi and everything's perfect and it's beautiful and it's still and the mind's still and the body is still and nothing hurts and all of that right we know it's not what happens so to let go of the expectation because if we have an expectation that whatever our intention is that that will happen then we'll be disappointed I guarantee it. There will always be disappointment if we have any kind of expectation. But we can have an intention to be kind. We can have an intention to develop awareness. We can have an intention to develop concentration. We can have an intention to be compassionate. We can have an intention to be harmless. We can have an intention to be kind. But we're not always kind. It's just how it is as human beings, right? We're animals too. And we're not always aware and we're not always still and the mind isn't always concentrated, etc., etc., etc. So, so at intention and expectation are two different things. If we have an expectation, we will most definitely be disappointed at least half the time. Yes? I'm sure I you've experienced I agree. That. I agree with any expectation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I, so that's that's what I would say about that. Is that um, it's very important to set an intention, and it's also very important to to let go of any expectation that that intention will necessarily be fulfilled on our particular timeline or schedule. It may be, it may not be. And it may be today, and it may be next year, and it may be never. So can we let go of that idea that something's going to happen and instead be willing to be simply open to whatever does happen, even though there's an intention to be kind and to be harmless, and to renounce the habits of mind that keep us bound? Because those are the intentions that the Buddha set out as right intention. Renunciation, harmlessness, and kindness. Those, those are the only three intentions he talked about.
as right intention. Can you say it again? Renunciation, harmlessness, and kindness. Thank you. You're welcome. Hmm. Yes. Oh, so we have one more. I'm Rupa. Rupa, hi. And uh, I was listening to uh, Rain. You were talking about Rain. Rain. Yeah. I'm not sure what non what the N stands for. Non-identification. Non-identification. So what it means is that whatever is arising, we don't have to tie up our identity with it. So it's so if, if what's arising is anger, I'm not angry. It's simply anger arising. So can I? see anger as the new meditative subject or object, right? So what is anger like, right? If I think I'm angry, I'm so angry, I'm ready to kill somebody, then I'm completely tied up with it. If I notice, oh, anger is arising, what's it like? Oh, there's a tightness in the belly, there's a throbbing in the head, there's heat in the face. There's um, a tingling in my feet and a, a wanting to jump out of my skin. Oh, there's a story here. I've been harmed. I've been hurt. I, or actually, if I really pay attention underneath what I think is anger, there's tremendous sadness. Right? So now I'm investigating the anger. I'm not so caught up in I'm so angry, somebody's going to have to pay. If it's a positive thought, even then you should not identify? Yeah. Even then you should. Because shouldn't. what happens with a positive thought? Oh, look at me. Wow. The ego. Okay. I'm really good. I <laughs> God, I've become such a great meditator. <laughs> I'm a really good student. <laughs> look at me, I'm so kind. <laughs> so then what do you think like if you're kind and if you're oh so what kind is kindness what, that there's kindness i see what how would you i not identify what would you think how if would you, you not be kind towards somebody yeah what would you think so if i'm feeling kind towards somebody first of all this feels really great in the body this right? feels great and there are thoughts of kindness and there's the feeling of kindness and all of that that really allows me to express it outwardly. Okay. Thank you. Or if I'm just sitting and some feeling of love or kindness or compassion arises, I can actually say, so I recognize it, oh wow, this is compassion. Hmm, lovely. So this, there's a feeling of softness, there's a feeling of mercy, that's arising in the whole mind stream and body. Hmm. So what's happening, you know, and, and of course, the neuroscientific experiments are so great because what they've been doing is really, in a way, giving us faith in what we're doing because they're confirming that they're actually physical uh, changes that happen with these mind states, whether it's anger or kindness, there are actual physical changes that are happening. And so we can, act, we, can, you know, we can have the faith from our own long practice, or in the beginning, it's really helpful. Scientists are now 
helping us as, you know, neophytes to have some faith in this practice. Oh, there's actually a change that happens in the brain. There's actually a change that happens in the body. And if we're, um, if we're really observant and, re and our meditation is, is, is somewhat deep, we can observe those ourselves. So the, so the recognition and the acceptance and the investigation is real, really will um, spur you on to keep practicing because you'll begin to see as you pay attention to the changes in the body, you pay attention to the changes in the mind and in the heart, you begin to see, oh, if I don't forgive, this is really very toxic and I can actually feel it in the body. And I can feel what happens when I start to have these thoughts of hatred. I actually know it. I know what happens, right? Well, we don't know it if we're so caught up in the feelings of hatred or the thoughts of hatred. We can't observe anything because all we're doing is seeing red. And we want to do something. We want relief from it because it's so painful and it's so difficult to feel. But if we're doing it with mindfulness, that pain and that difficulty loosen or dissolve somewhat, not, uh, can't say it, uh, completely, but, the, but we begin to understand, oh, this is really toxic for me. This is really helpful. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.